Hey guys, it's Rich. In a past company I once worked for, I was asked to meet a new employee via Zoom. It was your typical meet and greet call. The main goal was simply to introduce myself and make this person feel welcomed. The new hire was a computer programmer and we were all very excited to add a new resource to the team. She was a little late for our call, but soon enough, she appeared on camera. After exchanging a few pleasantries, I asked her what she would be working on over the next few months. There was an awkward silence. She started looking around. I asked if she could hear me. Still, nothing. At first, I thought she was having technical issues. However, her video never froze. And then just like that, she dropped from the call. I tried reconnecting with her a couple of times to no avail. She was gone. About five minutes later, a couple of co-workers reached out to me and said something was amiss. Apparently, the lady I saw on Zoom, well, she was not the same woman who interviewed for the job. Now, I never found out what the scam was all about, but make no mistake about it, we were scammed. Employment scams manifest themselves in many forms, and they negatively impact both companies and job seekers. In this episode, we cover some of the most common types of employment scams. Whether you work in HR or you're looking for a new job, stay vigilant. It's treacherous out there. You're listening to Privacy Files. This episode is brought to you by Anonymy Labs, makers of MySudo, the world's only all-in-one privacy app. And Sudo Platform, the cloud-based platform companies turn to for seamlessly integrating identity protection solutions into their software. And have you heard about the MySudo web browser extension? Breaking your online data trail just got way easier. To learn more, visit MySudo.com. That's MySudo.com. Colin, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be back. This can be one of those wild ones again, because I've heard a lot of employees come to us and talk about some of these scams that are going on in the employment space. And I cannot believe what people are doing. I don't know how they do it. I can barely take care of myself and handle just one job. <laughs> like I don't know how in the world this can happen, but let's jump right into this. So I've got a Business Insider article. This comes from January 2024, and the title is Three Americans Share How They Got Away with Secretly Working Multiple Remote Jobs. Now, I think what we're going to try to do here in this episode, we're going to cover both sides of this employment scam space, which one is, of course, corporations getting scammed, okay? And then maybe you can give us some input on what companies can look out for to spot this. And then, of course, from the employee or the job candidate, and what they might have to look out for when it comes to applying for jobs. Like a lot of times you'll see companies say, hey, if you pay us a little bit of money, we'll get you access to some of these opportunities that others don't have access to. That's always a red flag, right? Oh yeah, for sure. So anyway, so this is three Americans share how they got away with secretly working multiple remote jobs. That already just makes me a little stressed. (laughs) So it starts off, it says, some Americans are secretly working multiple remote jobs to boost their incomes despite having double the meetings, duties, and coworkers. Many have managed to get away with it undetected. 
Avoiding detection can come with massive rewards. In recent months, Business Insider has spoken with three people who've earned over $300,000 working two or three remote jobs simultaneously. They've used the extra money to pay off their mortgages, save for their kids' college education, pay medical bills, and plan for an early retirement. It says pulling this off, of course, is not easy, and they're calling this overemployed. I don't know if that's a new term or what, but you're hearing the quiet quitting, the, the great resignation. There's all these terms everyone's creating over the last few years. So these overemployed people appear to be a very small share of the U.S. workforce. Job juggling also comes with some risks, of course, while working multiple jobs at once may not violate federal or state laws. It may be a breach of some employment contracts and, of course, be a fireable offense if a worker is ever caught. Yeah. So you're coming from the security and compliance perspective. What are some things you would look out for to notice this? I mean, that's interesting. And I feel like I don't know if the security team may be the ones, the first ones to notice. I think it may be other people on their team. I mean, I assume there'd be some sort of sudden, you know, even if they're like juggling multiple jobs, I feel like there'd be some sort of relatively sudden kind of drop in maybe their productivity or suddenly their schedule seems all weird and their availability. I think there's just things that don't make sense, right? You probably have a good idea of what meetings, what things they have going on, and all of a sudden they've blocked out a bunch of extra time that you're like, whoa, I know you don't have anything going on with these hours. Like, why is this blocked <laughs> off like you're in some sort of important meeting? So I feel like there's just be these little telltale signs that people are like, you know, something just doesn't quite add up. Is it possible that there's certain types of jobs that would allow for this? It sounds like as we're going to read more into the article here, but a lot of these are like tech and IT jobs, but... By the nature of certain jobs, would it just allow you some of that flexibility? Like, I mean, some jobs are like 60 hours a week and others are like, well, it depends on the time of year and the projects and so forth. No, yeah, totally. I'm wondering that too. Like I was trying to think like, what kind of jobs would this be like easier? Just kind of general, not like I'm planning on doing this or nothing. But I feel like there's some like, especially if it is an IT thing, if it's like if your work is like 100%, you know, maybe more like support, like help desk sort of just ticket-based stuff. Maybe you work for some company and stuff's working pretty well. You don't get a lot of tickets. So I don't know, maybe there's that thought that like, hey, well, you can maybe try to find another gig doing the same thing. And yeah. you know, maybe some extra tickets won't like totally swamp me so I can kind of do both at the same time or something like that. Amazing. But I, I would imagine the whole time that they're engaged in this activity, it's got to be stressful. Oh, totally. I feel like that. It makes me think of like that Mrs. Doubtfire, like the end of the movie when... He's like going at the restaurant and he's like with the family, but he's also with the guy for his job. So he's like going back and forth to the bathroom like every five minutes, like change the outfit and everything, come back out. And you see at the end, he gets caught. So I feel like these people have made it this far, but I don't know how long you can keep this up. This is not a 35-year career thing. <laughs> so Business Insider says that they asked three Americans who have been overemployed in the last year, how they managed to pull it off. They spoke on condition that pseudonyms would be used for fear of, of course, professional repercussions, but Business Insider has verified their identities and earnings. So they started off with Justin. He's an IT engineer in his 50s. He earned over $300,000 last year secretly working three full-time remote IT engineer jobs. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, engineering is hard enough. Like. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So in addition to providing him with an unusual level of job security, he said the extra income had helped him pay off debts, max out his 401k, and pave the way for his dream of retiring at 65. You need three jobs to retire at 65 now? 
Like, full-time jobs? That would surprise me. Like, I get the whole, like, reasonable goals and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, are we really to that point that we need that much to retire at 65? Maybe it's something that, like, Justin didn't think that much about retirement until, like, later on, like, his 40s or 50s or something. So making up for lost time. But, yeah, that's... Well, you hear about the whole fire movement, right? The Mr. Money Mustache has been like, the, oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I like get the progenitor of this whole thing. And what is it? Financial independence, retire early, I think. And you yeah. hear people that have just kind of maybe a little bit above average full time jobs. And then they somehow they save like 80% of their take home and then they're able to retire at 30 and 31. Yeah. This guy's got three full time jobs and he's <laughs> like, maybe I'll retire at 65. <laughs> maybe. So over the past two years, Justin said he had studied all the excuses from missing meetings. Ah, so now we're starting to get into some of the interesting parts, right? Oh, yeah. Missing meetings, not turning his computer camera on, and not being available for extra tasks. Helping workers like John avoid detection are thousands of members of the overemployed community on Discord and Reddit. Ah, maybe that's what we should be monitoring. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's, yeah. <laughs> It makes me wonder if they're like someone goes on there, they're in this situation that they like find another coworker that's like, <laughs> oh, wait, I know who that is. And, you know, it's like someone in like another department that they're working at. So they, I don't know, maybe like watch out for each other. Like, oh, yeah, I got you or something. I don't know. I just expected them to be uh, chatting on the dark web or something when you're doing something <laughs> like this. But that's, wow, that is just absolutely insane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's not even just managing your calendar, but it's also like, I can't really make that meeting at two because I got this other project, you know? And they're like, yeah. after a while, you're like, you keep seeing all these other projects. What projects are they? Yeah. I feel like you can keep this up for, I don't know how long, but I don't know. I feel like there's a point where someone's going to come crashing down. So Justin's got some recommendations here. He says, a piece of advice for those who are job jugglers. He said, you have to be good not great at all of your roles. What do you think about that? I mean, it makes sense. You know, you don't want to like call attention to yourself and people talk about that a lot, not even in like a job juggling sort of thing. I've heard people bring this up in general, like, oh yeah, if you're really good at your job, that's when people give you like other responsibilities and other stuff to work on. So, you know, just kind of like keeping your head down, trying to hide out, make sure you don't get more work than you're, you'll be able to handle. Is it almost like the quiet quitting where you're doing just the minimum to not get terminated. That's what it almost seems like to me. And, you know, not enough to like get in trouble or people bring up like, hey, your performance is slipping. What's up? But, you know, enough to not have people be like, oh, yeah, they're a rock star. They're killing it. Just like, yeah, they're there. They're they're doing OK. And I guess part of it, too, would be managing expectations. So in a dream scenario, you're pretty much starting all three jobs, maybe in the same month. So you don't have enough time to show people that Colin was really good last year. But, you know, he's starting to kind of. His productivity has been slipping for a while. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> What's up? So it, he continues on. He said, it's important to be good at your job so your bosses don't suspect anything. For some workers, this might mean focusing on just two jobs rather than three. Oh, poor person. <laughs> He's quoted saying, always be available, respond promptly, and do good work. Keep deadlines. And if you can't communicate that ahead of time. Okay. So he's managing expectations. Yeah. It's important to not be great at a job, though, to avoid the extra responsibilities that could come with a promotion, like you said. He also adds that this also resulted in his bosses expecting less of him and not overwhelming him with work. I see the appeal where someone's maybe like, if I work really hard, I can get a promotion and then get like some sort of percentage salary increase. Or I can just go get a second job doing the exact same thing and double my salary. I mean, I see the appeal, but it's, I don't know, it's, there's a lot going on there, especially as an IT engineer. Like I feel, 
uh, depending on how each company works, you know, they have maybe different setups, different things, and maybe you put like an IP address that would work for one company that doesn't somewhere else when you're working for the other company and something breaks. You got to make sure you've got all your ducks in a row, so to speak, if you're going and doing this. What about from a security perspective, before we get into the second employee you heard that's going to tell us his story, like, I guess this person has got three separate computers at a minimum, yeah. three separate networks, three separate Wi-Fi points. Yeah, I mean, three separate, like, yeah, each one would probably have its own, like, little VPN client or something set up. Would there be any issues if, let's say, you're working remotely at home and you've only got one internet provider, but you're running your company's work, like, three different companies work through the same... I wonder if there's like vulnerabilities there too. I mean, that's just nuts. If I was a head of security and compliance, I'd be like, whoa. I don't know if that's as much of a concern. I don't know. The thing that concerns me more is just making sure that you're working on three different plate, like three different areas, three different networks and making sure that you do the right thing to the right network. I mean, even now, like, you know, I may occasionally like slack someone a message by mistake that's supposed to go to someone else or something like that. Yeah. So if I'm making some sort of like network change on some other company, and bring it down, then that obviously is going to cause some issues and... Oh, that's true. I, I hadn't thought about that angle too. So it could just be simply from mistakes. Yeah. Once you get more work in there, it opens up more mistakes. I don't know. Maybe Justin's doing a great job there. But I feel like I would at least once probably do that where I'd do something thinking I was in one area, then realize, oh shoot, this is the other laptop. I totally just like wiped out half a network or something like that. Because each company's got different protocols and... Yeah. Different things, different yeah. setups, maybe different IP address ranges, stuff like that. So... Okay, let's move on to Joseph. He's a network engineer in his late 40s. He earned $344,000 last year secretly working three remote jobs. He said the extra income enabled him to pay off the remaining $129,000 on his mortgage, and he hopes it will allow him to someday send his children to college debt-free. Congratulations, Joseph. <laughs> well, Joseph was recently laid off from two of his jobs and is not currently overemployed. He said his job juggling was never exposed. So to avoid suspicion, here's some tips. Joseph said managing his work calendars was key. On his first job's digital work calendar, for instance, he'd add any meetings or obligations he had for the other two jobs, labeling them as private so no one could see the descriptions. This helped him avoid double booking and prevented him from being bothered during these periods. That's so risky, too. See, and that's the thing is like, even if it's private, I feel like if they see that there's a lot of blocked out time for private, I feel like that's going to at least end up with a discussion with your manager. Like, hey, what's going on? I mean, maybe I'm assuming they'll probably assume something positive. Like, you know, is everything all right with like your family? Are there any health issues going on that we need to be aware of or anything like that? But I think it's going to call attention either yeah. way. So I guess if I'm understanding this correctly, so he's marking him private, but he's writing out detailed descriptions for what this is, which yeah. is a meeting for a different company. <laughs> yeah. And if that's the case, the company could probably do something to get access to those calendars Yeah, and kind of view them as if they were that user and then, you know, see what's going on. And I mean, like you said, he never was found out, but he was laid off from two of his three jobs. And I wonder if maybe there was something at play there that maybe they didn't know specifically he was working multiple jobs, but maybe an issue of performance since he didn't have that full attention that contributed to that effect. So he's also quoted as saying, if you keep your Outlook calendar up to date, you should never have a conflict. Wow. That easy. This is like in school, like fifth grade. I remember they gave everyone a planner and they're like, hey, you need to fill out your planner every day, what you're going to do, what homework you have mm -hmm. to have done, because this will really help you. And I don't think we ever, I never did it at least. 
So additionally, Joseph had one good friend at each of his first two jobs whom he told about his overemployed lifestyle. Now, see, I would think you, now you're starting to increase your risk of getting exposed, right? Why would you start telling people? Yeah, see, that's like share the burden with somebody in some sort of way. But I can't think of anybody that I work with that I'd be like, oh, hey, by the way, I've got the secret other job. <laughs> and so he said, he's explaining, I really just needed someone on the inside to understand there might be a meeting I miss here or there. So he's kind of got like an insider helping him to cover for him, which, yeah, that goes only so far until that person starts getting pressure too, right? Because then you yeah. get linked with that individual and you're like, hey, you know, Joseph over here, why is he always missing meetings? Yeah. I wonder if there's some money involved too. Like, hey, I'll give you, you know, like 10000 if you keep this to yourself or something like that. That's a whole other story too that we probably could get into, but I don't think we're going to have time. But have you heard about people who, and this started during the pandemic where they would accept IT slash programming jobs and then they would outsource it to a lower cost oh, area. Like yeah. they, would, they would offshore the job and they would pay that person the lower wage and they take the difference and then go hang out in the Caribbean or something. Oh yeah. I heard a bit about that. Yeah. Wow. That one seems that would even be more difficult to manage because yeah. it's not you, right? You interviewed for the job and now you've just handed it off to somebody else. Oh yeah, totally. Let's take a quick break for this message from our sponsor. Ugh, not again. I can't find it anywhere. What's got you so frustrated? Uh, hi, Bob. Just trying to find an important email, but my inbox is a disaster. It's all ads and spam. It's exhausting. Sounds like you need somewhat of an inbox intervention. Have you heard of MySudo? MySudo? No, what's that? It's an awesome app where you can create a sudo. It's kind of like a digital alias. Each of these sudos comes with its own email to help you organize your digital life. It's the perfect tool to keep your personal and work emails spam free. So what you're saying is I can use one of these sudo emails and never have to worry about spamming up my personal or work email? Yep, plus it's super secure. You should download it. Downloading as we speak. You are a lifesaver. Don't let spam emails take over your life. Reclaim your inbox with MySudo. Download MySudo today and start your journey to a clutter-free digital world. Visit MySudo.com and remember, stay private. So now we'll go to the third and final one. So we've got John. He's a millennial IT professional in California. He was on track to earn over $300,000 last year across two remote jobs. Very good. He said he'd been able to save over $150,000 since he became overemployed two years ago and hoped to use these funds to buy a home someday. For John, the best way to avoid suspicion is to be very productive at both jobs, which he said came down to a combination of luck, practice, and skill. For example, his team's daily meetings luckily don't overlap, but he's practiced working on one job while in a meeting for the other one. John is typically able to complete tasks ahead of schedule. Despite his two jobs, he said he works only about 40 hours a week. Well, see, that's back to the, my question when we started this, which is, it's almost like you have to have the right type of a job. Yeah. To pull this off. No, yeah, Totally. And also probably be lucky too. at like if you're working at a company and it's kind of a certain stage in the company's growth where eh, things are kind of comfortable and they've calmed down a little bit. Yeah. Like you couldn't get away with this at a startup. Oh, yeah, probably not. That's, there's a lot going on for that. 
So additionally, uh, the skills John learned in one job have sometimes helped him become more productive at his other job. Despite his best efforts to avoid suspicion, John said he thought one of his bosses might know he's double dipping. But as long as he remains productive, he said he's hopeful this suspicion won't become a problem. And they end the article here with a quote from John. He either chooses not to mention it or simply doesn't care as long as I get my work done. Well, I mean, I guess that's up to them, but yeah, I guess. Any thoughts on this overall? I feel like it's interesting where I think two of these stories, and we don't know for sure the full context, but two of them at least have something that may hint that at least one of the employers knows something's going on. Like I still kind of have that suspicion with Joseph that two of the layoffs that he experienced, maybe not explicitly like we know you're working multiple jobs, but like maybe his performance wasn't so great. So that's kind of what that led to. And then this other one with John, and John's boss maybe having that suspicion. I feel like it may be something more, maybe not as discreet as they may realize in a lot of cases. And maybe it is a lot of these kind of like the boss says, maybe like my boss just doesn't care as long as I get my work done. I wonder how much of this other people around them actually know, or if they know something's going on or something's like not normal. Yeah. I think it's good for overall, just for companies to be aware that this is going on. Cause I'm sure most people understand to some extent, there's a little bit of this out there, but Maybe it's more prevalent than we think. Maybe it is, yeah. I know people have, there's like a big debate, you know, should we go back to the office? Should we stay remote and all stuff like that? Hearing stories like this, it does make it kind of hard to be on the team work from home. Yeah, and I have known in the past in other companies that I've worked in where you had a a remote employee, in a few cases actually, this was not necessarily a frontline employee. This was more mid-career to more senior level and we would find out later after these people left that they were doing stuff during the day on the side. Consulting jobs, for instance, oh, you yeah. know, more kind of small business kind of stuff, sole proprietorship. But uh, nonetheless, it's it's not just younger, early career employees just saying, hey, I don't make enough money. I, I got to do something extra. It's, these are people that they've been doing well for themselves in their life. As much as I want to be on team, work from home, it has great benefits, obviously, but it's kind of a tough one to come back from when people are like, well, I mean, look at what happens when you let people go by themselves. And obviously, this (laughs) isn't anybody. There's plenty of people out there that are working their one job, but it's something I think that people will probably become more aware of, and I guess we'll see what comes after that. Another article that Business Insider did uh, similar to this was from November of 2023, and it was entitled, How to Talk to Your Secretly Overemployed Friends. They talked to a man who had managed to get, this is absolutely wild. He got remote jobs as a software engineer at IBM, Tinder, and Meta all at the same time. Oh, wow. (laughs) And he claims that his employers were totally clueless about it. And his combined total compensation was over $820,000 for the year. (laughs) Wow. I don't know. Maybe for that, I'll I'll work three jobs, but... (laughs) So they're talking about how most online groups eventually make their own arcane and nearly indecipherable to outsiders set of lingo and acronyms, right? So they're talking about how Facebook mom groups talk about DH, which is dear husband, or LO, which is little one or kid, you know, all these different terms that these different groups have. And over on the subreddit for overemployed, there's another vernacular that has emerged. And so they're talking about what the lingo is, right? So OE for overemployed. J1 is just job one or your main job that you care about the most and prioritize. And then, of course, J2, J3, right? They rank them in order. 
Then there's terms like TC for total compensation, Minecraft server, which is a job as in having multiple Minecraft servers, HPW, hours per week worked on each job, RJ is remote job, lifestyle creep. Of course, we all know about that, Yeah, which is part of the problem, right? If you are working three jobs, which if you're working three jobs at one time, I don't know how you have any time to spend the money. Oh, yeah. Like, I'd be exhausted. Oh, yeah, totally. The minute I hit the last key on my computer, I'm pretty much passed out on the floor. Yeah, probably. (laughs) And of course, I mentioned fire. That probably seems to be something else that's popular with this kind of group that's overemployed is this financial independence retire early movement, which I can understand what the goal is. There's nothing wrong with that, but I don't know if this is really the way to do it. And then TWN, which is the work number, a database from Equifax and employers use on a background check to see your past employment records similar to your credit record. And you can request to freeze it to help you keep up your use, which, by the way, brings me to this question. How do you update your resume after you've worked three jobs at one time? I was just thinking that, too, actually, because, I mean, obviously, that's a pretty good resume. This example, right, like Meta, IBM, Tinder, like they're all pretty good things to put on your resume, but put them all like at the same time. Like, how does that work? Do you just like leave off the dates? I don't know. I'm sure there's there's probably some sort of way. That's what I would think of is just like leave off the dates and hope they don't notice. But then maybe people, you know, see that and they're like, oh yeah, maybe they're only there for like six months and then they got fired or something like that. But Or, or somebody did a really good thorough background check. You'd probably be able to figure out somehow, some way that you did work three jobs at one time. Yeah. And I wonder, I guess you can take that a step further. Like, what do you do on LinkedIn? You know, do you just put one and then like maybe someone, you know, from the other company that you're working at, you're like, wait a minute, why do they still have that? Like, oh, maybe that's a yeah. whole thing. They just never updated. I don't know. But this is privacy files. So I guess if you're doing this, there's a lot you got to keep to yourself. <laughs> this is how you stay private as a bad actor. Yeah, don't do this. And then the final term they had on here, which I thought was hilarious, is, is a mouse jiggler. So this is a device that literally keeps your mouse moving to keep your computer awake. And there's a story that JP Morgan, of course, has been in the news a lot over the last year trying to push back on getting employees to come back into the office. And so they've really ramped up their internal systems to monitor all activities, right? How long somebody on average is on a Zoom call, all your stuff that you're doing on the computer. And so you have to log into this, I guess, virtual desktop or whatever it might be. And so they're going online to download it, which is like a software load-in, plug-in, whatever it is. And it just, it keeps your cursor moving every once in a while so that you don't log out from inactivity so that you're in good standing with Big Brother, I guess. So there you go. All That's, right. Which I guess if you've got three laptops open at one time and you have to work three different jobs, you probably need a mouse jiggle. Yeah, probably. Oh. <laughs> uh, Okay, any more on this before we move on to some other scams? No, I think we've covered it pretty well. Yeah, and just to be clear, we're not recommending this. Yeah. (laughs) This is not an endorsement. If you're on the corporate side, you should be aware of this and and probably need to be putting some measures into place to see what's going on and to monitor. And I think most importantly is just to protect yourself from a security side of things, right? Compliance, security? Yeah, for sure. All right, Colin, let's make a transition away from the overemployed to the criminally employed. All right, let's do it. So uh, there's an article here on a dark reading title that sums it up pretty well. Cybercrime help wanted, job hunting on the dark web. So, you know, maybe working multiple jobs isn't quite your speed. Maybe you just want to have one job and maybe the dark web, maybe some illegal jobs sound like something that appeals to you. You're in luck because on the dark web, 
there are ways to get jobs. And it seems like it's very similar to finding jobs as you would kind of on the clear web, looking on LinkedIn, Indeed, or wherever else you might look. So going into the article a little bit, paragraph that sums this up says, yes, there are criminal job boards in the traditional sense on the dark web. The Edge spoke with several security researchers, including the Photon Research Team at Digital Shadows, about the growing number of English and Russian language web forums that feature job boards with specific sections dedicated to the topic of recruitment and the skills required. So that's handy as well, right? It's not just the jobs, but kind of the skills that you'll need. You can get an idea for what you need to know to do if you want one of these, I'm assuming pretty lucrative jobs. I don't know. I haven't looked up dark web jobs, but I'm assuming that they probably pay pretty well. Just a job board, but for the bad actors. That's right. All right, so talking a bit about the application process, the article reads, Job seekers and criminal employers find each other through posts. Wannabe hackers will create threads in specific sections of a forum for topics such as malware and phishing and explain their skill sets in order to find work. And criminal groups or even individual threat actors looking for help will also announce that they're seeking assistance, then outline the requirements. So that's interesting. It's not just, hey, we're looking for a job. You can go on there and you can say, hey, I'm looking for a job. I have these skills. I can do this thing, fishing or whatever else. It's kind of cool to see. And you're getting vetted. But that's the irony, isn't it? It's like the trust factor for a bad actor. I know. It's so interesting just seeing like how similar, but like weird and like, I'm always saying there's like illegal stuff going on hacking, but how similar it is to just kind of like the real world sort of thing. Like I've heard stories of people talk about people that try to pay, they get hit with ransomware. They pay to try to decrypt the files, but the file isn't decrypt. So they're on the phone with the people that like made the ransomware like troubleshooting and be like, okay, well, let's try this. Let's see if this decrypts the files. Just so strange to me, but I guess that's what happens. There's honor. <laughs> so talking about the skills that are in demand, they talk about one of the most popular ones. It says the Proton Research Team says Probiv, I'm assuming I pronounced that correctly, Russian language slang term, best translated as lookup is a popular skill. And criminal groups are continually looking for people to join who might work in a specific sector or company who can bring ProViv abilities to the table. Criminals who provide ProViv services typically find lucrative work by abusing privileged job positions, such as roles in banks and passport agencies, then provide insider information in exchange for a fee. Threat actors recruit workers with access to the specific databases, according to Photon. So that's interesting. It's This is coming back to the first article. You can have two jobs and one is just your normal job and the other is your illegal criminal job, I guess. Well, that's the other thing to look out for too, then, isn't it? Because yeah. if you've got, this could apply just to somebody having one job, but if you are working two or three jobs, maybe you're thinking too, hey, I can only pull this off for six months. So if I get contacted by somebody from the dark web, I might as well, I mean, this third job is the one I think is least important, but I've got access to all of this stuff. Yeah, I man, I'll cash in for $500,000 to help them get what they want. No, totally. It's so for me, kind of like cybersecurity wise, I think that's one that probably would stress out a lot of people because, you know, obviously there's viruses, hackers from the outside trying to get in, but from the inside, you can do things to mitigate it. You can do certain things, but ultimately it comes down to like, is the company hiring people that are trustworthy, that aren't going to abuse this and that don't have these malicious intentions and on the security team, you don't always have that say. A lot of times it comes to who the HR department or who the hiring manager decides, yeah, this is the person for the job. And they may be fully qualified and they do a great job, but at the same time, they may be trying to do something to like help people break into a network or something like that. And that's a good tip too. So you go back to the upstream part, which is you just make sure when you're hiring for certain roles, 
you're really betting these individuals out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's crazy to think about because it is a big threat. And I think not a lot of people aren't necessarily like prepared for it. You hear about companies on the inside, you know, you'll only get access to files or systems or things that you need, which is great. And it definitely helps reduce the kind of blast radius if something happens, so to speak. But I guess this is why when you hear about the, the term compartmentalization in the military, like secret black ops projects, right? That way, if there is a, a spy or something is not right, then they've only breached a certain area of the project and they don't have eyes over everything. But it's hard to do at some point in a company, right? You can't just control, like somebody's got to know everything, right? Right. You would it's, think. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. And it's one of those things like you hear about, I don't know, at least for me, when I was first learning about cybersecurity in school and stuff, they're talking about, yeah, protect from hackers and viruses and stuff like that. You're like, okay, cool. And then you know, people float that idea. There may be malicious people that work in your company that are trying to do bad stuff too. So you got to do something to try to stop them as much as you can. I'm like, oh, it's like the plot twist in the movie, right? Like the butler did it. Like it was the butler the whole time. The butler is someone in accounting or something like that. Well, it makes sense too, right? Because that would be the second easiest way. So you got the inside job and then you got the social engineering. Why have hacking skills if I can just pick up the phone and just talk somebody into giving me access to something or make them believe that I'm an employee that oh, got yeah. locked, locked out. No, yeah, totally. There's another article. I tried looking it up, but I couldn't find it that Dark Reading did a while ago. It was, it was a survey asking like cybersecurity professionals if they would consider doing like criminal work. And I don't remember the exact percentage, but there was kind of a significant amount of people that would say, they're like, yeah, I'd consider it. The pay would be a lot better, a lot lower stress job, stuff like that. Oh, there's a lot going on in except, cybersecurity Except that you space. might go to jail. I mean, you know, every job has its downside. So, <laughs> Anything else on this one? There's one little quick little tidbit we can add at the end. So if this does sound like it appeals to you, we don't recommend it. But you don't have that confidence in your skills. There are opportunities to get the training for the skills you need for these jobs. The article later on goes, how do criminals get their training? Is there any kind of formalized training module for a young industrious hacker can hit up to learn? The Photon team has not observed any formal courses on the dark web, but says knowledge and expertise is shared among junior members of dark web forums all the time, including prepared guides and tutorials on how to conduct certain activities. Photon has also seen dark web platforms like XSS offer their own dedicated e-learning sections on the forum where users can enhance their skills in a number of areas. So you have those training platforms as well, if that kind of suits your fancy hey, career development. I mean, and you can see, cause a lot of times cybersecurity, that's kind of what it comes down to, you know, learning just these different hacking techniques. So, you know, if you can get on there and do it for free, I guess, why not? But I don't know how much time we want to spend on the dark web to do that, but. God, it's just the whole time. I'm just thinking it's like being a fugitive on the run. It's like, it's exhausting. Oh yeah. Totally. Like at some point, all you do is slip up one time. Right. And that's it. And you will eventually everyone will slip up. And so I understand why it's attractive, but that's just not the path, I think, for it's, me. <laughs> uh, it's, it's the other interesting part to see, too, where they're talking about like how all these other like more experienced people will go. They'll share their tips, their kind of information and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's people that do that kind of in the clear web and the cybersecurity defense thing, too. Like, hey, we're seeing this theme of like phishing email going mm -hmm. around. Be aware. Hey, there's these new attacks that are going on. So it's crazy to see that there's like coordination on the other side as well. That they're like, oh, yeah, let's team up and let's hack these guys, I guess. but Or maybe they're hoping down the road, if they're really good, then the government will hire them. Maybe. <laughs> That's what they're shooting for. All right, Colin, I think it's time to transition to ransomware gangs. It sounds very intimidating. It certainly does. We did interview somebody 
last year about ransomware gangs, and she was, I forget exactly what her responsibility was, but I think she was a cybersecurity analyst or something of that nature. And she looked into this a lot, but I guess what really interests me is they operate like a company, right? And they're obviously they want ransom money, which is usually paid in cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. And then they have a team, I guess, of IT cyber professionals who probably work on both sides, right? They're helping to launch these attacks, but probably also have the expertise then to help get you out of it if it's time to decrypt stuff. But the, the thing that caught my attention was this survey they did to this is 100 large North American IT firms showing what's going on with ransomware actors and how they're making a greater effort to recruit insiders and targeted firms to aid in attacks. And it said that 65% of the survey respondents say that they or their employers were approached between basically a one-month period between December 7th, 2021 and January 4th, 2022 to help hackers establish initial access. So 65% of people surveyed said that they or their employees had been approached that by is, a hacker. I don't know. To me, that seems like super high. And it makes me wonder if that is a pretty accurate number who's been approached that I don't know about. Like, that's, that's crazy. Because I've never heard of this actually happen. I mean, I've heard about news stories, but like personal experience stories from companies, people I know, I've never heard of anything like that. Or is it possible that they reach out and maybe an employee says, sure, I'm interested but then it turns out that they just didn't have the skills to do what the hackers wanted or like how much of this actually is successful. I mean, I say successful, yeah. but for the bad actor. No, I wonder that too. Cause I feel like from what I've heard this before, it seems like they'll say, Hey, we'll pay you X amount of money. If you help us get ransomware on these machines and your company pays the ransom. And there's a lot, I mean, on paper, you kind of like get free. Like, Oh, cool. I can get a bunch of money. I just have to like download this virus or something. But I mean, a lot of people, it's not like companies are just setting stuff up to let ransomware kind of run free. They'll put in antivirus, different sorts of protections and things in place to try to stop this from happening. So I wonder if it is that high. And I feel like there's probably at least a couple instances where somebody had this idea and then realized, oh, hey, this isn't working because this antivirus caught the ransomware and stopped it from running or the company was able to like pull up from backups and restore everything. So yeah, I wonder, the percentage does seem high, but I feel like it's at least kind of a comforting thought. There's probably a few that it didn't work out as well for. Yeah. Or people sometimes, well, oftentimes probably overrepresent their skill set too. They're like, Oh yeah, totally. Hey, it sounds like I'll figure it out if I have to. Yeah, it's like, a million dollars. I'll Google it. I can do this. And then, <laughs> but it also, I think to highlight, the importance of staying private so that people are not even tempted. It says in most cases, the threat actors, they use email and social media to contact employees. Uh, But still about one out of every four were approached via the phone. So just directly, right? Just, oh, somebody's calling me right now. Let me see who it is. Oh, it's Mr. Bad Actor. Maybe that makes a little more sense. Maybe that's what all those robocalls are that I ignore. Like if it's not your car's warranty, then it's, oh yeah, someone trying to get you to... I've Put got ransomware a on your great business proposition for you. All you have to do is just carry this piece of luggage overseas with you on your next flight, but don't ever <laughs> look inside it. <laughs> don't worry about what's in there, but we'll pay you a lot of money. <laughs> but yeah, they were mentioning like some of the offers started from just a little bit under half a million to north of 1 million US dollars. Yeah. So if you're going after, what, what do they say? The typical surveys, it can be anywhere from like half to 
70% of all people, they don't really like their jobs, right? Yeah. And so you're like, oh, you know, the chance might find somebody who's kind of disgruntled or right. doesn't really like the situation or his supervisor. And he's like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll get back at the man or whatever. So right. Yeah. That's something else to consider too, is like when you're thinking about if you've got an employee on the job that does kind of convey those types of sentiments, maybe you keep a close eye on that person too. Yeah. Talking about before people, maybe from the get-go, they're like, oh, yeah, I just want this job, this job at a bank so I can go and like wire people's money or something like that. And probably isn't going to work out quite the way that they're hoping. But people that they're hired and genuinely when they start, they have no intention of doing anything like this. But maybe, yeah, they're mad at their boss or whatever, the company in general. Had, I've had, had a raise in a while. Yeah. The company comes along. Maybe there's like maybe more of a desperate situation, some sort of medical emergency with like someone in the family or something like that. They could really use the money. And just kind of the opportunity comes up at a bad time and catches someone in a moment of desperation. It's tough because there's like so many things you want to try to be aware of. I mean, it seems so appealing, but I feel like in so many ways it's not going to work out. And then obviously it creates headaches for just a bunch of people. Yeah, I mean, this is getting to the psychology of it, but I guess it also gives you insight into if you're thinking from an HR perspective, how important it is to ensure that there's some base level of employee happiness. Yeah, right. Because then, again, I mean, I hate to get into all of those what-ifs scenarios, but that's something to think about. I remember in a company I worked for in the past, uh, we had an owner who was very close with the local sheriff's office. And he was involved in a lot of programs where he would donate items to underprivileged and helping out with scholarships for college and everything. And his view was he was being proactive. Like he basically said, you either pay it now or you pay it later, right? His viewpoint was somewhere down the road. If you didn't do something now to help get people on the right path, then you're going to pay for it later down the road in terms of higher crime in the community or whatever it might be. And so that his viewpoint was, I'd rather get them on the right track, have them happy now, have them have something to work for and work toward And it's almost kind of like there's something similar here, too. Like if you don't take employees input or their feedback seriously and you don't give them some agency and feeling like they have some part to play in the job and you're not checking to make sure that their compensation is competitive based on the market stats, then you do kind of open yourself up in the worst case scenario. Again, it's not like this is a common thing that's going to happen, but it's good to have a more proactive strategy, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, talking about employees, everyone obviously wants to be working at a great place. And of I think course. there's lots of great companies that sure. work hard and want to do that. And I don't think that's something that, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, because happy employees are productive employees. It doesn't really come up like, oh, yeah, happy employees aren't going to try to infect us with ransomware. Yeah. That's good, though. Yeah. But again, that's when you see some of these tragic news stories. Yeah. It's oftentimes a disgruntled employee. And, and typically it's because of a bad relationship with a supervisor. So, be nice to people. It's one That's of the takeaway. Gets me a little concerned too. Cause I mean, obviously you heard a lot about stories about layoffs and stuff. And I feel like there's a lot of people that just kind of have that general idea that like, you know, it doesn't matter. No companies don't care about anybody, anything like that. And there's great companies out there that really do care about their people that even then still may pay for it. And kind of that sense of like, they have some employees that still have that perspective. Like, yeah, no one companies care about you. They're, they'll do whatever. They'll cut you loose in a moment. And something, I guess, just to be aware of that even if you think, oh, yeah, everything's good, we're a great place, our employees are happy, they like us, it's something at least to be aware of and something to do what you can to mitigate it before it happens. Yeah, two other takeaways from this piece of research that they did here was, uh, one, 
Only 8% that were surveyed said they were more concerned about internal threats than external. And then the other piece was 3% weren't concerned about cybersecurity threats at all. (laughs) What are they doing? Getting hacked, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Why would you not be concerned? I'm sure that's like got to be a a false sense of security, something where they're thinking like, oh yeah, we've got stuff in place. We're good. You know, nothing's going to happen to us. And that will probably be true for a while, but... You know, even companies that have everything down, so to speak, in the cybersecurity point still do have those risks. So you never know. Yeah. And it also mentions here toward the close of the article, too, is they're talking about almost in a sense of like managing that employee happiness. It's at the time this article was written, of course, the great resignation was underway. So people were just quitting their jobs in mass. That seems to have kind of tailed off now. But It says it raises the chances, environments like that will raise the chance of success for ransomware actors in negotiations of trying to get somebody on the inside to uh, help them with with their ransomware attack. It says today many companies have employees on the verge of quitting or who have already decided to leave, but they're just waiting for the right moment. And an unexpected offer involving a large sum of money may be enticing for some. So it says an increasing number of people feel overstressed, underpaid, exploited, exhausted, or just don't like... They just don't feel like work is worth their time and energy anymore. So again, it's just back to that. It's, it's a little bit of an HR strategy too, not just an IT you know, security and compliance area, but they do overlap, I think here. Oh yeah, definitely. Anything more on this you wanted to cover? Nothing that comes to mind. It's an interesting topic and depending on how you look at it, a little terrifying, but that was, yeah. it's good to look into. Yeah, I had no idea. It's like, if it's really over half, it's like, you just, you never know, do you? Yeah. Like you walk into the grocery store and it's like how many people are, you're walking around are just absolutely terrifying, uh, <laughs> horrible individuals that could snap at any moment. It's like, now nah, I just don't want to go outside. <laughs> Stay home, order DoorDash and get your groceries delivered. That sounds like a plan. <laughs> and watch Netflix. Let's take a quick break for this message from our sponsor. Hmm. Picture this, you are a key decision maker at your credit union. Your tellers are tired of the lengthy KYC process, fraud is a constant worry, and onboarding new members feels like a marathon. But what if there was a way to streamline it all? Enter the Pseudo Platform. Our reusable credential technology transforms the traditional KYC process, reduces fraud, strengthens communication security, and streamlines member onboarding. With Pseudo Platform, you can prevent fraud, save time, and create secure digital identities. And the best part? It's built right into your credit union's app. This is more than innovation. It's a commitment to providing your members a rewarding experience. We're live and ready to redefine how you do business. Don't wait. Give your credit union the upgrade it deserves. Identify any member in any channel at any time, all while improving convenience and reducing fraud. To learn more, contact us at pseudoplatform.com. That's pseudoplatform.com. Okay, Colin, I think it's time to transition over to the individual side, which is scams to watch out for if you are looking for a job. So this is in Forbes. It comes from back to June of 2023. It's entitled fake job scams are becoming more common. Here's how to protect yourself. So it says employment scams cost workers about $2 billion in direct losses each year, according to the Better Business Bureau in the first quarter of 2022. Around 14 million people were exposed to job-related scams. The Federal Trade Commission reports that unsuspecting job seekers lost 
$68 million due to fake businesses and job opportunities. Wow. And it goes on, in a challenging economy, these scammers will prey on the vulnerability of workers. With money tight due to high inflation and soaring costs, many people are vulnerable to getting caught up in flim-flam operations. Haven't seen that word used in a while. (laughs) (laughs) The scammers know how to come across as sincere and promise much-needed money quickly by impersonating well-known companies. Those responding to hundreds of job ads without any luck are susceptible to falling for get-rich-quick schemes. Several types of job scams commonly trap unwitting job hunters. These shakedowns include fake job postings, work-from-home scams. Gosh, those have been around for ages. Interview and government frauds. Be leery of too-good-to-be-true job listings. Watch out for job postings that boast high-paying opportunities that don't require much, if any, skills or experience needed. Scammers will ask for personal information such as your social security number and bank account numbers. The job won't materialize in your identity and money will be stolen. So that's the thing, right? It's it's either your identity or your money is pretty much what they're after in most of these cases. Right. That's what's valuable to the hackers. So Mark Anthony Dyson, who's the host of the Voice of Job Seekers podcast, advises, quote, you must be diligent about any invasion of your privacy that can affect your financial and employment decisions. So here's some warning signs to look out for and jump in at any point, Colin, and tell me what you think about these. So okay, it says, if you receive an offer that sounds too good to be true, of course, walk away. No one is handing you out free money without a catch. Here's what you need to watch out for. So first one, the amazing, wonderful interview request comes from what looks like a high-end company, but only has a basic email address. <laughs> uh, we get these all the time with the phishing attacks, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, Microsoft wants you to reset your account, but the email address is like some crazy long, whatever, proton mail, whatever. So the next one is you're asked to give up your personal data during hiring, including your social security number, date of birth and bank account information. (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) tough because I'm sure that will catch people that maybe are, especially if they're new to like job searching or something like that. Like you will need to give that information out. Just make sure that you've got the job and you've vetted the company out before you go ahead and do that. The next one is the recruiter tries to charm you into paying an application or job training fee. I personally have seen this many times over the years. Somebody just says, hey, just send us a little fee, sign up. It's a little subscription service, whatever. Don't worry about it, but we have access to these exclusive job opportunities. Yeah. (laughs) No. The next one is they'll be demure in sharing the company's name and compensation until you provide them with your personal information. Now, when you're dealing with recruiters, they will oftentimes, of course, not disclose who the company is because you know, oh, yeah. they, they want the commission. But certainly after you've had the first call, you should know who that company is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So if they're saying, oh, no, we're not going to disclose that until you give a whole bunch of personal information, then yeah, run away. The next one is a job is offered way too quickly and you've never met or seen the interviewer or gone into an office. <laughs> That's one I've heard of job scam where the interview happens basically just like through like the LinkedIn message chat, not even like Zoom, no video or anything like that. It's just like you're chatting back and forth on something, which that's something else to be aware of. Keep an eye out for that. For the longest time, I kept getting an email. I think it was during the COVID period. It was always like from Portugal. And it had something to do with shipping services, like, oh, we're looking for agents or something. I never really paid too much attention about what all the mechanics were behind it, but it was like, oh, you just work from home and you just kind of help us be the liaison between the United States and Portugal. 
Uh, never mind that maybe we're shipping some illicit stuff <laughs> or whatever. I mean, I don't know what it yeah. was about. Of course, I would never engage with any kind of activity like that. And you could always tell too. It's like the email address was strange and the grammar was weird and just, yeah, not going to work. Uh, the next one was the only contact is via social media. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't have a website. Sorry. And then, of course, their website looks like it was hastily built and has grammatical mistakes. The job description is vague and there isn't any direct contact to speak with at the organization. Yes, that was another one. I remember, I guess it wasn't a scam, but I remember back in like oh, 2011 when I was in Dallas-Fort Worth area and I was interviewing for a job with a company that was doing I forgot what the technical term was, but basically they would go collect old cell phones and they tear them apart and they get the precious metals, right? What do you have in there? Like gold and platinum? Yeah, like gold. Yeah, all that good stuff. And I forgot, it's like some fancy word like recovery. Instead of just calling it recycling, it was some fancy word to make it sound better than than it really <laughs> was. But I remember meeting this guy in a very nondescript building in kind of a industrial type of setting in Dallas, right? And it's just the whole thing just seemed really off. There was no logo anywhere on the building. Nobody had business cards. And there was like no signage anywhere. It was just like, <laughs> for a while I was thinking, is this one of these like CIA front operations where oh, yeah. it's just a cover to launder money or something? <laughs> it was bizarre. They offered me a job, but I didn't take it. I was like, nah, nope, I got to do it. They go on and they talk about taking advantage of the work from home trend. So scammers, of course, are taking advantage of the work from home trend. The shams say you can work remotely and earn a fantastic living. This one-of-a-kind opportunity only costs a one-time upfront fee to get started. Once the check clears, you'll never hear from them again. It's the dream, right? Never have to commute. And then also it's like, look out for these so-called jobs that include reshipping products to selling things to people you know. Another tell is when fast-talking salespeople will say, quote, for only a low-cost investment, you too can be your own boss. So, yeah. <laughs> it's funny that they're talking about like scam jobs, but this sounds to me like MLM sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so be aware yeah. for that too. Yeah, some kind of a pyramid scheme or yeah. whatever. Similarly, crooks try to lure you in by referencing the federal government. They'll claim access to a safe job with a pension and benefits, and you only have to pay a small fee. The catch is that these offers require you to pay up front for training or certifications. Again, I've heard these things. I've had people approach me about this stuff many, many times. And then before you know it, your credit card is charged without your permission. Another thing to look for is the fake check scam. This happens when you deposit a check from your new employer and they ask you to send some money back due to overpayment. Oh, no. <laughs> so the check bounces and the bank demands that you repay the full amount of the fake check while the scammers walk away with your money. Incredible. Interview scams involve an email job offer supposedly from an employer, recruiter, or job board. Scammers impersonate job placement services such as staffing agencies, headhunters, or other placement firms. I've seen so many scams personally in this area. Like The headhunter space is completely replete with this kind of activity. You can find these things happening on social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So really the takeaway is how to avoid getting scammed. Only apply to job advertisements on reputable sites, LinkedIn, Indeed, Glassdoor, any others you can think of that are, you know, I remember monster.com used to be big. Now it's, oh, like, yeah. is it still around even? Maybe. I remember hearing about monster, but when I did, that was, I wasn't looking for a job. I was still in high school. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Those are the main ones I can think of. What is the other one? 
Oh, I'm drawing a blank on it. There's about four or five that are fairly reputable. ZipRecruiter is that what you're thinking? ZipRecruiter. Yeah, that's, that's right. One. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would stay away from any of the classified looking ads or no, yeah, know, for sure. any, anything for sure. like that. Just, yeah, overall be very careful. So the jobs that offer big money without needing much, if any relevant experience, of course, stay away from that. Recruiters don't ask job seekers for money. That never happens, right? The companies hire headhunters and compensate them via a placement agreement, which is typically a set percentage of the job seekers based annual salary, at least in the first year. So job listings are ubiquitous with so many job aggregation sites and online corporate career portals. There's no reason why someone would charge you a hefty fee for access to job listings. That's the other thing too. You've got the data brokers, right? You've got these job board brokers too. Like they're taking feeds from all the main job boards and they're just putting them over on their site. And yeah. sometimes they'll say, oh, we're going to charge you a subscription to have access to these high-level executive jobs or something. And then you take a look and they're the same jobs on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah, that's unnecessary. Be careful of those. Also, once you receive a written job offer from a reputable firm, have met with people at the company, conducted all your due diligence and human resources, has completed a background check, only then is it okay to provide your personal data, such as your social security number, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, do not do any of that until you are actually going to work for this company. Make sure you've met people. They know they're real. <laughs> Maybe do a little research on your own. And of course, if you're on the fence about an opportunity, just err on the side of caution, contact the Better Business Bureau or the Federal Trade Commission to learn more about the organization offering you the unbeatable job offer. Any comments on that one or... Not nah, good, solid advice. And I mean, a lot of that keeps you avoiding scams, but also people talk about that when you're looking for a job. There's great jobs. There's jobs that maybe aren't so great with companies that are maybe a little more difficult to work with than others. And doing all this due diligence stuff, check out what they say, you know, what reviews are on Glassdoor, stuff like that. Can help you make sure, A, that the company is real and that it's a good company that you want to work for. So you can kind of get all sorts of benefit out of just kind of doing some of this due diligence stuff. And it makes sense why this is a lucrative area for bad actors, because I mean, we're talking about people's employment, their livelihood. Oh yeah, totally. Easy to prey on people like that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and speaking of that, a quick one to cover too, is I just saw an article on LinkedIn a week or so ago that MBA graduates are having a hard time right now because there's, you're seeing some cracks in the economy. And even with that fancy newly minted MBA, they're struggling to get interviews. And so, they're, uh, yeah, I, I know. I mean, where is it going if it's hard to get a job with an MBA? But this article is actually from the Federal Trade Commission's website. And it's talking about how job scams are now targeting college students. If you'll be seeing college-age relatives over the holidays, warn them about a variation on the job interview scam that students looking for summer or permanent employment have reported to us. And so, yeah, it just goes through some of the things to look out for. But what advice would you give a student, it says, to avoid a bogus employment offer? Just check the recruiter's references first. You know, if a recruiter uses the name of someone at the school, contact the faculty member directly before engaging further. If the story doesn't check out, it's a scam. Do your classmates a favor by alerting your college career services office. Uh, another one is scrutinize the recruiter's email address. That's a common one if it's coming from Gmail. Stay away. Yeah, for sure. Another recommendation, pump the brakes if you're asked for personal information. If the talk turns to bank account data, once again, driver's license number, social security number, et cetera, stop the conversation, contact the company at a phone number you know to be real, uh, not one the recruiter gave you, and double check to see if the job offer is genuine. And then finally, report any of these odd experiences to the Federal Trade Commission. So if you cross paths with a scammer, 
report it. Got a uh, website address here, which is reportfraud.ftc.gov. I won't get into too much of the details of what some of these job scams look like, but it's some of the same stuff. Like if it looks a little off, just be careful. Think about your situation, why they would try to prey on you, especially if you're starting out your career. Some new MBA grads don't even have any full-time work experience. So these are completely, they're new people to the whole career process. And then I guess one thing I wanted to leave us with was just the 17 common job scams that are out there and how to protect yourself. And this comes from Indeed, which of course is a job posting site. So if anybody knows about job scams, it's going to be a job posting site. Right. (laughs) And then we'll wrap this up. Let's do it. So this comes from last year, summer of 2023. Job scam, of course, a fraudulent offer for work that's intended to mislead people seeking legitimate employment. Often the objective of scammers is to deceive job seekers into giving money, divulging personal information, or providing free labor, which I've seen that too. When you're looking for a new job, be able to make sure you can distinguish between a scam and a valid opportunity, and that will help keep you safe and spare you a great deal of hassle. So here we go. We're going to give you the 17 scams to look out for. Number one, fake job listing. Now They come in various forms. Though job sites have measures in place to verify legitimate employers, scammers sometimes manage to get their listings posted. Other fake listings appear on social media profiles. Uh, created expressly to deceive job seekers. The listings normally ask candidates to pay a fee to complete their application or to get started in the role. I mean, one I get a lot of is somehow I get, and I hardly am ever on Facebook, hardly ever. A couple of times it's just to communicate with certain family members where that's the only way they communicate. So, but I will get people who will just send me something. Heck, that is great employment deal. All you got to do is do this and this, and we'll just send you money every week. And it's an amazing. And before you know it, you can quit your full-time job and you'll be making more than that in six months. Yeah. If it came from fake Facebook, fake book. <laughs> no. Two is imposters. An imposter is someone purporting to be someone else in the context of job scams. They usually pose as an affiliate of an agency, government institution, or hiring firm. Imposters often ask candidates for a screening fee in the form of gift cards. Or a wire transfer. Yeah, that's definitely a red flag. (laughs) They're asking you for gift cards as part of the interview process. Walk away. Can you pay me with an Xbox card? (laughs) (laughs) A third one is email offers. You may receive an email from someone claiming to be a recruiter who found your resume on a job board. Some emails come from legitimate recruiters, but others may come from dishonest people trying to deceive you. Often the dishonest ones ask you for sensitive info, such as identification or bank account numbers. Yeah. And the next one is informational material. Scammers who offer informational material often pose as hiring experts who can optimize your candidacy for a position, again, for a fee. They promise to give you essential information that can help you both secure and prepare for an interview with the company you want. In reality, such information is normally available on the employer's website, their job listing, or various free sources, and the purported advisor reaching out to you has little of value to offer. Wow. I'd like to see what the success rate is for these bad actors. Like which ones are really working well? Yeah. We got to get somebody on here. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the informational material one, I feel like that one probably get, at least compared to the ones we've read so far, that one seems to me like it'd probably be the top Mm -hmm. most effective because it's not like too explicitly like, oh yeah, this sounds really weird. It's like, oh yeah, hey, I got these connections. I can help you get this interview. But then you find out after the fact like, oh, this really didn't do anything. But by then it's too late. I think that's two guests I want to get on this podcast. I want to get 
an employment scammer on. <laughs> and then two, I want an ethical hacker or maybe a black hat hacker. I mean, ethical hacker sounds easy. I don't know about, I don't know, would you just put on LinkedIn like, hey, I'm looking for an employment <laughs> scammer, please. I want to get into the criminal mind. The next one is interviews via an online messaging service. So in this scam, the scammer notifies you that you've been selected as one of the finalists for a position. Wow. Usually one to which you've never applied. When it comes time to arrange an interview, they may reveal that it's an online interview through a specific messaging service, which asks you to input personal information to complete the setup. Oh, <laughs> oh no. No red flag there. And then, of course, a common one is money laundering. A common money laundering strategy involves the scammer reaching out to you via email or a job listing. They may try to convince you to accept a sum of money and to use your personal bank account to transfer it to another account, allowing you to keep a percentage. Using their rationale behind this circuitous transmission is that it would be easier and more efficient to use your account instead of theirs. The scammer is actually trying to acquire your bank account information. Isn't this like the... Remember the Nigerian prince scam or something like that? Or Oh, yeah, like I need some money, so send me some money and I'll send you something back. Yeah, something like, like I'm very wealthy, but I need to move money over here. So if I could get some to your bank account, you can have a percentage of it or something. Yeah, that's that yeah. was always in emails, I think. The classic phishing email. <laughs> yeah, just give us your bank account. The next one is credit reports. In a common credit report scam, the scammer claims that an examination of your credit history is necessary to verify your eligibility for the position. They may say that the job requires someone who's financially responsible. The fake employer might then ask you to pay for a credit report with your credit card, which results in their charging an unauthorized fee for it. Otherwise, they may suggest using a specific service to obtain the credit report, which you end up paying for in addition to the other charges. While real employers do sometimes perform credit checks on employees, very rarely do they ask the candidate to cover the cost. Credible companies will typically handle credit checks on their own. A lot of this stuff is common sense, but again, I guess it just depends on where you are in your career and yeah. how desperate you are for a job. No, yeah, that's a big thing. It's like being aware. I mean, once you hear this stuff, like, oh, yeah, this is something bad people might do. Once you hear it, once you see it, you're like, you can pick it up that much quicker and be like, oh, yeah, this is bad. I'm going to get away. The next one is career consulting. These scams occur when a person posing as a career consultant reaches out to you to praise your resume. Then they mention that it could be better with some additional work. <laughs> they either offer to approve your resume themselves or refer you to an alleged expert in exchange for a fee. I get these in-mails all the time on LinkedIn. I think they're different kinds of scams, but they start out with, wow, Mr. Sordal, you just have such a wonderful resume. I'm so <laughs> impressed with it. Can I learn more about you, right? <laughs> I would like you to be my mentor. And I don't know, I sometimes I mess with them for a little bit just to see how long they'll hang in there. I'll just come up with some absolutely ludicrous stuff, you know, just to see oh, if yeah. they'll hang in there. But again, I, I wonder, how does that work with people? Because they keep doing it. Right, how do you yeah. not know? You go to their LinkedIn profile and they've got like 10 connections. Oh, yeah, that's that's a little strange. <laughs> so the next one is work from home jobs. Of course, we've covered this many times. The past few years have seen an increase in candidates working from home. Scammers are aware of the rising popularity of remote work and target such candidates with work from home jobs. Often the scam involves persuading a job seeker to pay a fee or purchase items. Again, it's always a fee or sign up, subscription, get into our service. Uh, you're going to have to purchase a few things. Always the same. Shipping scheme, I mentioned that one. I've gotten that one many times in my email. Uh, they call this also the postal fraud. 
Shipping schemes are a subcategory of work-from-home scams. The scammer offers an attractive salary for repackaging and reshipping goods, plus compensation for shipping fees. In most cases, the candidate ends up shipping potentially stolen items, paying for the shipping fees without the promised compensation or salary. Uh, I'd like to know what it is that they're packaging. I wouldn't think it would be drugs in this case. So the next one is government jobs. I know that's another one uh, that's very common. If a listing or offer for a supposed government job asks you to pay a fee to apply or acquire information that you can improve your candidacy, it's a scam. Government agencies don't require fees for candidates. Also, many government jobs are accessible only through official channels such as USA Jobs. Number 12, purchases some fraudulent employers claim to offer a candidate a remote job and then ask the candidate to submit payment for their remote work equipment, like a computer or monitor. (laughs) Do I have to pay for my Mac? (laughs) Uh, But again, I mean, there will be people starting out their career that think, oh, that's totally legit. Yeah, I mean, you you guys aren't just going to give me a free computer. Yeah. Right? Or do I get to keep the computer when it's all over? Typically, the scammer claims the payment is mandatory before they can officially onboard you, and they promise to reimburse you on your paycheck. Once they receive payment, they keep the money and cease all contact. Some employers require employees to use their own equipment, but it's highly uncommon for a legitimate employer to ask you to submit payment directly to them for it. Envelope stuffing, we don't have to cover that one. That's been around for ages. Career advancement grants. If you receive an email encouraging you to apply for a career advancement grant from the government, proceed with caution. These scams usually claim the recipient is eligible for a grant to pay for higher education or professional development services. The email may include links to applications and state that the government may deposit money directly into your account if your application is approved. Sometimes the sender claims they're with a specific government agency. So in reality, these fake grants aim to steal personal information or money from you. And according to the FTC, the government never sends unexpected communications about grant opportunities. High paying data entry jobs. That's another one that's been around for a long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Scammers will often advertise illegitimate data entry jobs, claiming you can earn extremely high wages for little work. These jobs are rarely real. And after offering you a position, the fraudulent employer may ask you, to pay for training or share your bank account information. If you see data entry job offering a wage that seems much higher than the market average, investigate the company, try to verify its legitimacy and research its reputation before you apply or respond to communications. Have you ever seen the ones, it's been a long time since I've seen this, but be a book reviewer. A book reviewer. Yeah, like there's an author working on a book and the author needs a variety of set of eyes to do some basic grammar and editing. Oh, right. So you don't miss any errors. And like, oh, you, for just a few hours, you'll get paid $5,000 to basically look through the book and do some editing. And I don't know if that is actually true. Can yeah. anybody be an editor? I mean, you have to that know something about eyebrows. English, right? Yeah, I was going to say, you've seen people's emails and slacks and stuff. Like, I don't think just anybody can be a, be an editor. That was, I worked at a place with a guy that had a master's degree in English and everyone said they got nervous whenever they had to email him something. Cause they're like, I know he knows English well, and he's probably like looking at all my errors and everything. So yeah, I don't think that's one that you would just hand out to anybody like, Hey, read this for me. Yeah. I mean, even major news sites now, I find grammatical errors in their oh, articles me too. all the time. I've heard some people say that they do it on purpose, like, especially in the title. Cause you're like, ah, oh, what idiots writing this? And then you scroll down and you read the whole story or something. Oh, really? I've heard that that it's might like, be something it's like, it's they do like on a purpose. Because yeah. I know more. a lot of people now are just reading the titles of articles, and so yeah. maybe that's a... But I've noticed a lot more of it, too. And I wonder if that's like... 
I mean, people might say it's on purpose, but I'm sure there's a few in there that people are just like that. Just they completely miss. I kind of fell for a sort of a scam when I was, um, I think I was around 10 and, you know, I was in the scouts and I don't even know if is boys life magazine even still around, but that was the magazine. Oh, yeah. It was part of your membership dues and you would get the boys life magazine and I'm a scouting and all this great stuff or, yeah. or I, I think that's what it was. I don't know. It's kind of so long ago now, but, <laughs> but there was always a little advertisement in the back and it was like, Hey, uh, you could make a little extra money by being a paper delivery guy. You know, you go around the neighborhood and you distribute this paper that nobody's ever heard of before. And so you can make whatever, how much the money was per paper. And so I signed up for it and they sent me like, it was like a box of like 50. It was like a weekly or bi-weekly publication. And I couldn't get anybody to buy them. Like oh, nobody wanted them. And then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, I get a, an invoice in the mail saying I owe them for all 50 papers. Oh, for real. And I'm like, I, there was nothing that yeah, ever that's... said that I had to pay for the papers up front. Man, that's messed up. You're messing with Boy Scouts. That's, that's yeah. low. That's yeah, I took advantage of a kid. So I, I wrote him a nasty letter and then I never worked with them again. But yeah, I mean, nobody wanted the paper. Yeah. The Girl Scouts are at least clear. They're cookies and everyone yeah. knows that. That's And those are, I mean, they're good stuff. So it's it's an easy sell. But <laughs> tricking Boy Scouts into, man, that's... Shame on them. Yeah, that's not trustworthy <laughs> or loyal or whatever else. At least the cookies taste good, right? Yeah, for sure. Cookies are, they're a winner. So two more and then we're done. Uh, mystery shopper jobs. That one, of course, very common. You can find these on job boards, public forums, etc. These postings may claim you can work a flexible schedule and earn a high salary by shopping online or in person and evaluating retailers' customer service and offerings. If you're seeking a mystery shopper position, be wary of companies that ask you to submit any payment up front. They're rarely credible and typically collect payment without any intention of assigning you work. It'd be kind of fun to be a little mystery shopper for a while. Yeah, that would be uh, interesting. Especially if I could keep the items. <laughs> and then finally, resell gigs for this scam. The scammers target candidates seeking supplemental income from a side hustle. They may contact you by phone or email informing you of an opportunity to buy luxury goods such as clothes, appliances, tech, or accessories at a discount. Then they resell those items for profit. They help you purchase inventory, but they never send you the items. There's a lot of them. I'm sure there's a ton more. Yeah, I'm surprised. When they said 17, I'm like, okay, let's see how that works. But yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah, I mean, just bottom line, look, do your research. Uh, don't rush into anything. Take your time on stuff. It's just like when they say, if you're thinking about buying a big ticket item, you know, walk away for a while and spend a few days and then oh, see yeah. if you still feel the same way about that brand new shiny car with the nice rims and everything. Walk <laughs> away for a few days. You might change your mind. Number two, verify website security. Three, trust your instincts. Four, protect your personal information. Five, look for complaints. Yeah, always go online and look for reviews, especially in the Better Business Bureau. They'll have, chances are, if there's in a history with the company, they'll have a lot of information on them. And oh, on the yeah. flip side, if they keep changing their names to try to the DBA doing business with someone else oh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's another one right, to be aware of. Then, yeah, something that might be a red flag too is if they have no reviews. Yeah. Then that might have been just they, they reinvented themselves overnight. Well, that was a long one. Any other uh, advice or feedback or takeaways that you'd like to offer before we close this out? I think we've covered it pretty well. So you feel like you are confident you will never fall prey to one of these scams? I mean, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. Stay safe out there. Again, just protect your information, too. I think a lot of times you become a victim 
just because your information is out there and then a scammer finds it and then they start contacting you. And, and yeah, for sure. And especially with LinkedIn, talking, I guess, about employment, so much stuff out there is on LinkedIn, not only for you, for other people, not necessarily explicitly an employment related scam, but whatever company you work for, someone can go on LinkedIn, search whatever the company is, search CEO, send a text from some random number, say like, hey, this is your CEO, Kyle or whoever, you know, I need some gift cards from the Google Play Store or something and send these over. Just be aware that your information is out there and people can use that for some malicious stuff. So if something doesn't seem right, don't think, oh yeah, how do they know this about me? That has to be legit. They probably do know that and there's probably a good reason to be skeptical. Yeah, and be careful on LinkedIn too. That platform has, it's changed over the <laughs> years, right? There's, it's crawling with scammers now and you know, just look at the content in the newsfeed. I mean, it's, a lot of it has nothing to do with jobs or yeah, for sure. politics and CAD videos and y- you name it, right? <laughs> so it has definitely changed and I get people contacting me every week with some type of a scam. So just be careful, use your common sense, stay vigilant and take your time when you're making decisions, right? That's right. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time, Colin. This was great as always. And well, hopefully we can do this again really soon. People love it when you come on. So for sure, let's do it. I, I love coming it. on. So let's keep going. And I'm not even paying you for this either. That's true. We'll this, talk- is, this is probably a scam. We'll talk about that <laughs> later. Yeah. <laughs> How am I getting you to work for free? <laughs> All right. Appreciate you. Take care, Colin. Sounds good. Thanks. See you. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Privacy Files. In our next episode, we'll be talking to a professional fraud investigator. From identity theft and credit card fraud, to cybercrime and deep fakes. This episode will serve as a strong reminder why it's so critical to protect your personal data. Until next time, don't forget, privacy is a human right.